Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Will Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Before we get started with our topics today, fellas, this is the week before Thanksgiving. Um, do you guys have any plans for Thanksgiving? Well, my brother's coming into town, and so I haven't seen him in a minute. He was supposed to come for his birthday, uh, but he had caught COVID, so thankfully he's recovered, and um, it'll be good to see the young fella again. And then um, it'll be his first time meeting my girl, too, because she'll be in town as well. So uh, it should be a pretty chill time. For me, just uh, taking a day trip, hanging out with some family, um, and for the most part, just being grateful and, and maintaining a, a sense of gratitude to for, you know, what God's given me and, and, and what he's made me, you know, the person he made me to be. So it's pretty much his gratitude, you know, that's it. Man, that's, that's awesome, man. You know, for me, you can just go ahead and put up the short side for your mates because I'm face because I'm not doing any of that type of stuff. You know what I mean? That's going to be the first opportunity really for me to get some much needed rest. It seemed like since COVID, once things start to lighten up a little bit, that been working really hard. But anytime that I had a break, I was going somewhere, like going out of the country, going out of town. And so this is the first opportunity for me just to chill, relax, recharge my batteries. But it's also something um, that's pretty big that I'm working on. And I need this time just to carve it out, to focus on just that. Um, speaking of focus, you had two guys last night which really focused. You had Terrence Bud Crawford going against Sean Showtime Porter and about, I think they were fighting out there in Las Vegas. Either way, wherever it is that they fought, it was a really, really uh, great matchup. What did you guys think about Terrence Bud Crawford versus Showtime Sean Porter? Well, this fight in particular, there are some things that, that – uh, I expected that did happen. And there were things that I didn't expect. And it, it had a lot of things going on in this fight. Uh, a story was told. Uh, it had some excitement. No, it wasn't a drag down like the most exciting fight ever. Uh, nor did I thought it would be. I, I knew it would be a, a, a type of control skilled war to, with two guys who trying to oppose the way they fight, which um, – happen pretty much and it would be uh every round would be hard to score and kind of close which we did get that so getting into it uh terrence buck crawford he's coming in this fight 37 and no with 28 knockouts uh he had that five foot eight with a 74 inch reach which he did use at, at times uh, has victories over uh the mean machine uh, jose benavidez who we saw fight uh, last week uh kel brook and 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 also uh Uriokis Gamboa, which he um fought at lightweight for lightweight supremacy. But he didn't have that, you know, that name that he that he really needed to 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 get him over. And Sean Porter would have been that name. So Showtime Sean Porter, 31 and 3 with 17 knockouts. He's five foot seven with a shorter 69-inch reach. Uh he had that uh, fight with Broner, which he a good win over Broner. Uh, and he also has a, that close win over Ugas and wins over uh, Danny Garcia, but he also lost to uh, Keith Thurman, which was a close fight, and, all, and also Errol Spence, which was a close fight. The only fight that he lost that I didn't think was it was kind of close, but really wasn't, was uh, the Kell Brook fight. So coming to this fight, 
Um, coming in, we knew that 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 uh, Bud Crawford would take some time trying to figure out Sean Porter, and, and in doing that, he you know he was using his jabs and and, and using uh, check hook and trying to really you know uh, deal with uh, Sean's uh, rough and tough tactics and and him moving forward and trying to you know rough Crawford up a little bit. But uh, one thing that Porter does do, which I think gets overlooked a little bit that Porter can box. He, he transitions a lot from being a brawler to a boxer. And, so, and at times, you know, he would try to box Terrence Crawford also. And it was hard to say who was successful because they each was having their moments where they were successful doing what they do. Um, where, where Porter, you know, he was fighting that, that rough and tough style and uh, kind of sometimes edging out some of the rounds, but then also but Crawford would, you know, use his boxing ability. He was using this jab. And, and of course, he was, you know, check hooks and turning them. He was moving uh, a lot around Sean Porter. Um, so th this this fight was a lot of scoring. This fight uh, was based off of uh, what you like in this fight. Um, for me, I had uh, Porter winning the, the, the first three rounds and then um, Crawford sweeping the, uh, the remaining rounds up until the stoppage. Now, I didn't have an issue with anyone having Porter win, win it at that, you know, the time and the end of this fight. Uh, I thought it was fair. It was a very, very close fight. Uh, we, we saw that that Porter was the same Porter that gives just about everyone trouble. But but Crawford, he just rose to the to the occasion. Uh, he did what he always did. He kept working that jab and, and, and kept trying to to really um, uh, read and measure uh, Sean Porter. At times, it was kind of frustrating because you're like, when are you going to turn it up? And Crawford just has this way about him that when he turns it on, he just turns it on, e even though he's reading it. Because not, not, even though he, he he seemed to be having a little bit of trouble with Porter, um, he never seemed like he was in a panic mode or seemed like his body language didn't seem uncomfortable uh, uh, in the ring with Sean Porter. So when he turned it on, 10th round, he caught uh, Porter coming in with a, a nice right hook and then, then a left uppercut, which, I mean, pretty much put uh, Porter on his seat. And Porter got up, you know, um, and tried to fight on. And then uh, Crawford just did what he really does and tried to finish Porter with, a, you know, a barrage of punches. Now, we saw Porter go down a second time in the 10th round. And we saw him, you know, he, he punched the, you know, the canvas and stuff. And he was very, very frustrated uh, and got up. But then his father, Kenny, um, you know, opted to throw in the towel. Now, personally, I thought it was, you know, an early stoppage. Um, I, th I thought the stoppage was early, uh, but at the same time, I also seen that even if Porter would have would have gotten up, I, I think uh, Crawford at this point he he gained too much of a lead that he was pretty much going to win this fight. Uh, and what he would what he would stop uh, Porter anyway, it's hard to say because Porter is durable, and I have to give him that credit. But at the same time, I mean. Bud is one of the best finishers in the game, and it didn't look good for, for Porter. And I think that uh, his father, Kenny, saw that. But all in all, I think for – I did think that that that, that, that the stoppage was a, a bit early. You know, I, I kind of wanted to see, you know, the end of it so we can answer these questions. And But I thought it was a good performance by Bud. You know, he rose to the occasion when it was time to rise, rise to the occasion, and I guess the welterweight division took notice. Yeah, very good win for Bud. You know, I was glad Bud finally got a top welterweight in his prime, you know, on his resume. And this is the moment we 
we've been waiting for. We're like, come on, bud, man, you know, you're fighting these guys who have uh, lingering injuries, you know, like Benavidez, you're fighting older guys who are past their prime and Kale Brook and Amir Khan. You're fighting guys that we really never heard of, me machine, you know, and, you know, the list goes on and on. But he showed why he is a top pound-for-pound pound fighter and his per- impressive performance against Sean Showtime Porter. I thought, but did a really good job of making adjustments throughout the course of a fight. I'm not going to go into too many details. Bill, you did a wonderful job of, of doing just that. But I will make a couple pointers here. Um, like I said, the adjustment, the early adjustment was the fact that but stuck to that left-hand stance a lot. And the reason why that was important is because by him being in the left-hand stance, he can kind of guide Porter, you know, when he was doing his bull rushes coming in because Porter would have to worry about that lead right hand, you know, which is really his power shot from the left-hand stance or one of his power shots, but he has a, an array of shots that he can throw, land and hurt, hurt you. But that's a powerful shot to have to worry about coming in. Porter, to me, in this fight, he was aggressive, you know. He, he found different times for him, you know, to bull rush in and throw wide winging shots. If he was just a little bit more accurate, then Bud would have really um, had something to deal with. But he, he missed a lot, you know, and he tends to do that in his fights. Um, but although he was aggressive, he wasn't as relentless as he typically is in his fights. And that could be due just to fight somebody the caliber of Bud, who kind of, again, one of those guys who are upper echelon, you know, level, and they can mitigate certain things that guys want to do. So it could have been that, um, you know, if you listen to Porter's father after the fight, it could have been something else. I don't know. But based on what I what I saw, um, and he was fighting Bud, it's the first time I've seen him. I've seen him not be or not be as relentless against guys when he chose to do it. But this is the first time I saw it where it didn't look like he could do it, you know. And so I think that that's more of a, a tribute to Bud's skills. Also, some of the adjustments that Bud did is he ended up going to the body a little bit more. He was digging some of those shots to the body. And I think that kind of contributed to Sean slowing down just a little bit. Um, I thought after around like the seventh or eighth round, he was noticeably a little bit more fatigued than he was early in the fight. You know, and I think I can attribute that to those body shots. Um, but all in all, you know, you have the clash of heads, you know, and that typically can happen in a porter fight, but also typically can happen in a southpaw versus orthodox, you know, fight between those type of opponents. And you have those clashes of heads that typically happens. But with that being said, man, I just thought that overall um, Crawford just showed that he had the better skill set. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, you guys covered it, so I won't get into particulars either. Um, the way I scored it, I gave the first two rounds to Porter. The round three is when Porter got cut due to the headbutt. And he touched Crawford a bit, but to be honest, um, I didn't see enough from either in terms of like like to give one person a round or the other. So I actually had that one 10-10 for round three. Uh, round four, I gave to Crawford. I feel like that's uh, that's when he started to really go 
to the body, do some solid work there. Um, and his counters were, were on point. I gave round five to Porter, but then after that, um, it was a pretty much a sweep for me. And I kind of knew what it was going to be around five because Crawford just seemed like just unbothered. Like it was like when he started to get touched or when he started to see what Porter was doing, like he was just like, he just had this like wide smile on his face. And, and I was like, okay, this is gonna, this is just a matter of time. And yeah, it just seemed like it was easy to him. I wouldn't say easy, but he just seemed very much in control. And I knew he had the killer instinct. And so after that, that first knockdown in the 10th round, I was like, okay, you know what I mean? And I personally thought the stoppage was right on time because there was no way that Porter was going to come back on the cards. Crawford was not really physically hurt up to that point. And I felt like either his pops could have stopped it or the ref was going to stop it because another knockdown was coming because Porter Crawford smelled blood and that's normally when he would have started to like stick his tongue out and stuff like that. But because of like the mutual respect that was there, um, Crawford just did what he had to do. And I thought it was a good fight. Much respect to Porter though, for how he handled everything from the fight itself. And, and also, you know, being such a class act at the end of it and in the post fight. So um, two great warriors, much respect to both of them. This was a fight that the welterweight division needed, and it answered a lot of questions about Crawford for me personally. Speaking of the post-fight presser, both fighters kind of gave an indication of what their futures would look like, but some of it is still left to speculation. So that's where we come in. Where do you guys see these fighters going? Well, obviously, with Showtime Sean Porter, he said that he's going to call it quits after. I would say a pretty, a pretty illustrious career. Um, you know, as a fight fan, you, you like everything that Sean brings to the table. So I just want to, you know, give him his praise as a always consummate professional guy who leaves everything that he has inside the ring. You know, somebody who is good at talking about fights. You know, he's, he, I think he can easily, as you see, already transition into being an analyst um, or other things that he can do in life. But I just want to salute him. You know what I mean? Very solid career. Fought pretty much everybody in the world's weight division when it comes to people like Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, Ugas, Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, Kale Brook. And even when Adrian Broner was still Adrian Broner, um, he has a victory over him as well. So just want to say shout out to Sean Showtime Porter. But as far as Terrence Bud Crawford goes, logically, you would want the Spence to fight, fight to be next. But I think that it wouldn't be the best time, especially for Spence, right? And other thing, too, is we don't know what Crawford is going to do because we don't know if he's going to resign with top rank, which I don't think that he would. But we don't know if he's going to sign with PBC? Is he going to sign with Eddie Hearn? Is he going to try to be a free agent? We just don't know. So all of this is just mere speculation. But if he stays with top rank, what I would suggest, because they're trying to push that Josh Taylor fight, and 
this would be a good opportunity to go ahead and have that fight. See, I don't mind guys, even though Josh Taylor, I would say is a soft touch by any stretch of imagination. I just don't think that he's competitive against, but he's a good fighter and there's other guys he may give trouble too. I just don't see that being the case with, with Bud. But if he really wants that fight, he wants to smoke, this would be a good time to do it. And again, I don't mind guys taking like not just the like fight after fight after fight. You just fighting all of the, the top guys. Like you need a little bit of time to work on a few things, get prepared for the next guy, you know, that sort of thing. So I don't mind it. So if he wants to go in that direction of a Josh Taylor, then he can do that. Or what he can do is he can just wait, right? This fight, I think he had almost a, a year off before this fight looks spectacular. You know what I mean? I don't know how, how often you want to do that. But if he does take a fight in between, and I'm talking about a Spence fight, because I think Spence needs to fight after having surgery for that detached retina. Because if he just goes into a fight with Terrence Bud Crawford, Terrence Bud Crawford can be a sharp shooter. And I don't think that would be good for Spence to do, you know, because if, if Crawford just targets the eye, he could definitely cause some irreversible damage, you know. So, again, I would advise Spence to go ahead and fight somebody like a David Avenizan type, which I don't think he would because he's one of the guys that wants other champions. Even after his accident, he's like he's trying to call out all of the other dudes and take really tough level opposition even after he went through a horrific situation like that so I don't think he would but if I was his advisor I would do that put him in there with a David Avenese and caliber opponent to get back adjusted to being in the ring get back the adjusted as far as his eye you know what I mean and being able to defend himself properly and if he's able to do that then I would try to have the Crawford fight around September. A lot of the big fights typically happen around September or May. So I would try to shoot for that. And that would be a huge fight. You know, that would be for all of the stakes at 147. And you're doing it like right now, the iron is hot. But if you get those two guys to get, if Spence gets another victory, and then he's talking about, you know, setting that fight up with Crawford next, then I think the iron will really be hot and it'll be perfect timing for that match. 100% agree. You know, we all know Crawford wants to unify ideally against him um, as, as Spence does hold the IBF and the WBC belts. And uh, just last week, he was actually cleared to return to action. But yeah, there's just no way that he goes from a career-threatening eye injury straight into a unification fight. And then as another champ, Ugas is there, but the WBA basically has him tied up probably for all of 2022 that said you know you alluded to it but this was a final fight on his top rank contract and he said outright that uh, he wasn't going to be renewing in the post-fight presser which if you know me you know I'm kind of thrilled about it because you know all top rank has for him at this point is Josh Taylor now that said there's no guarantee that he's going to sign the PBC but it does get a lot more interesting if he does now, if he were to sign the PBC, I could see him fighting maybe like a, a, a step below an elite tier fighter in that PBC stable, um, maybe like a, a Lipinets or someone like that. And in preparation of, you know, th that is assuming that Spence were to come back in maybe the spring or so and fight 
like you know someone like you said will and then you know that word would be the fight to make in 2022 that being crawford and spence honestly it just kind of sucks though because it's almost like the moment has passed a little bit and when i say the moment like obviously that is the fight that everyone wants to see but you know garcia is allegedly garcia being danny garcia is allegedly moving up to 154 but you know, we haven't heard anything from him. Keith Thurman hasn't fought since the Pacquiao fight of 2019. Pacquiao was actually gone. And so Crawford, you know, going into age 35, even if he signs a PBC, like there are some options there. There's more options as a welterweight, but, you know, there's not as many as there would have been. But, you know, short answer to the question, I think that if he were to sign a PBC, which is probably the most likely scenario if i were to have to put money on it i would say that he would probably fight someone in that stable in early 22 and then look for that spanish unification in late 2022 all right now let's look at where uh where sean porter goes from here uh he already did state that he would retire and after losses like this especially hard losses where where you know uh, emotions are high, and he, he, this is really this, this would have changed his legacy if he would have won. Um, who knows if he, if he would stay retired? We hear these we hear these comments all the time, but coming from Porter, I think is it may be true because uh, I think he you know he already has a a gig as a PBC analyst slash commentator, and he's basically their Timothy Bradley. So so I, and I always look at Sean Porter, and somewhere in the same vein, I look at Tim Bradley. So I think he's going to transition into that role uh, uh, naturally as PBC's version of him. And he's, I mean, he's already doing a, a wonderful job with, uh, with Abner Maris, who also does, does a wonderful job as an analyst slash commentator. So I think, you know, his future is set if he wants to retire. He, he doesn't have to worry too much. Um, would that hunger ever come back? Who knows? But, you know, salute to him. He did. He, he, he was one of the, the, the few that would, you know, quote, cross that street, you know, and fight Bud. I mean, he, he's one of those guys who's willing to fight anyone. Um, doesn't matter, you know, who they're signed with or not or, or what type of threat they pose. Uh, he always had guts and he always fought his heart out. So salute to Sean Porter. That said, when I look at now, now, now looking at his father's comments, uh, that I, th I thought that was a little interesting. Um, that his father kind of, you know, was saying that he didn't, you know, train hard enough for this fight, whatever. And I thought that put a stain kind of on all three of the people who were involved in that, which would be, uh, of course, Terrence Crawford. It kind of, it seemed like it was kind of takes away from his win, saying you beat someone who wasn't adequately prepared. Then it puts a little bit of a stain on Sean Porter himself because he was basically saying, wait, you didn't prepare. But then I, I thought it was a, a, a you know, a, it'll comment because it affects uh ken porter kenny porter himself because it's like well if you send somebody a fighter didn't prepare it's your job to prepare him regardless of how he feels or or how, regardless of what sean's going through it's your job to make sure that he's prepared at 100 so i did think that comment was kind of like maybe he should have waited you know some time before he said that he shouldn't have said it so soon um but, you know, he's done a good job with it. You know, Kenny's done a good job with his son, Sean, and with how far he, he's uh, gone with him. So salute to him. Now, where, where Buck goes from here, um, of course, it's things that we want to happen and things that's likely going to happen. I think 
likely he's probably gonna fight uh uh ugas i think you're doing this ugas could be next for that unification if you can't get the spence unification i see that fight being next um now a lot is contingent on if he leaves top rank or not i think he will leave top rank well he already said he would um but i don't think that if, if bob aaron was was the problem and bob aaron was remo removed i don't think whoever he signs with i don't think those guys at pbc should have a problem fighting him if bob aaron was the problem right whether he signs with you know the zone or or eddie hearn or whoever um so a lot of those fights are open to happen uh, we saw his we, we see we heard what he wanted he said uh that he wants spence uh do i think spence should wait to fight him i mean it's maybe but you know this is the fight we've been waiting on for like a good three or four years right right now and i think by the time it happens it probably have cooled down a little bit and then it's like it's like it's almost like it's going to be like a uh how pacquiao and mayweather they waited so long uh and and, and the, the iron yeah yeah it sold a lot of money as far as casual fans but us boxing fans we knew that was really really past his expiration date and this one's getting there uh bud's not getting younger he's 34 but you know he's a little bit preserved and you know spence himself is in his early 30s um and we seen bud in the ring basically you, when they asked him who you want to fight he basically said you know who i want you know he, he basically was clowning spence in the rings and hey the dude get his you know tail between his from his behind you know make the fight you know and you know spence was there at the fight you know watching the fight in the front row and you know he as soon as that that um the fight was over he pretty much made his exit uh so i mean as far as the, the psychology of it, it is hot I mean, Spence wouldn't have been there if he didn't believe that he wanted that fight or he didn't think, wasn't looking at that fight next. So uh, is his eye fully healed? Who knows? I mean, I think he knows better than anyone. So I think he's the best person to make that decision. But if he believes that he's, you know, ready to go, make the fight. But versus, you know, Spence, let's go. Anything else you guys want to share? Do you think that should be up to Spence to make that decision on whether he fights um, Bud next? You know, as far as his his eye and everything, it, it shouldn't be like a, a an effort by him and his team, or he should just like I want that fight. And yeah, well, well, he's the one. It's his eye. He's the one that's feeling his eye. You know, if if he goes to the doctor and the doctor clears and says your eye is good, the eye is good, and if he believes it's good, it's good, right? Oh, okay. I'm just asking. That's 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 where I'm looking at it. If the doctor says good, it's clear, and he says, "Hey, is my eye? My eye's good." I mean, if you talk to his team, his team would say, "Yeah," but you know, and they can make it that way. No, but, just, but remember, he's the boogeyman. If Spence is the real boogeyman, hey, or is Bud the real boogeyman? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's not for me to say. I was just saying in terms of a fighter, just in general, if should they just make all the decisions like don't stop the fight for me let me go ahead and you know everything i just thought it was more of a team type thing but uh, of course of course not you should like of course not and, and let me rephrase that like like when you look at fighters when they're taking like for example last week when you look at uh last few weeks when you look at Kyron davis if it was up to him he would stayed in there you know because yeah it is him and he has to take the punishment you know but i mean his trainer you know basically had some mercy and was like, look, I know this guy. I know he's going to do what he does and he's going to go out on the shield and I don't want to see him get hurt. And yeah, it is up to his team. But at the end of the day, 
Smith is the one who makes that decision. Yeah, he's going to involve his team. He's going to involve the doctors, his trainer, his his uh his his family. You know, but at the end of the day, it's him that makes that decision whether he wants to get in that ring with Bud or not. No, I'm just asking. I, I I don't know what your take was on that. Um, but I was saying that in terms of the iron being hot, what I'm thinking about more so is the fact that the fight had still anyway. So regardless of where we are right now, I just thought that at this particular point that we have gotten to, this fight should have happened three, four years, but however long it's been. But since then, you've had certain things that have transpired. You've had the Spence accident, right? So that kind of put things on the back burner. Then you also had the eye injury. So that's putting things like kind of making it a little bit more murky. Now, the fact that we are right here, and if you want this fight to be the best it possibly can be, from a competitive standpoint, once they enter the ring, I just thought that it would be like important for Spence to get the fight in between. Now, they can do whatever it is they want to do. He can go straight into it and let the chips fall where they may. But I, I was just saying, like, if they go ahead and decide that we're going to fight at this particular time in 2020, late 2021, 2022, the fight is already pretty much set. We can build it because I'm going to go ahead and fight this dude. I'm going to talk about wanting to fight Terrence Crawford. We already have the date set. Terrence Crawford handles his business against whomever, and then they can just flow right into it at this particular point. But you know, that's what I was thinking. But the other couple of things I wanted to mention was that Porter said that he was going to retire after the Spence fight, but he just, you know, ended up staying on a little bit longer. And this fight was the fight that was going to, that was going to be it regardless. So he said he was thinking about that when it was a draw yesterday. So I thought that was interesting. Um, a couple other things that I was interested in and was thinking about was that Crawford he seems to be hitting hard as I don't know what at 147 because or it could be Porter's punch resistance may be diminishing a little bit I don't know I look at it more so Crawford having more power than a lot of people think and being able to punch from those weird type of angles reason why I'm saying that is because of the punches he was catching Porter with he was putting them down he was hurting them now I've seen Porter get hit by Thurman. I seen him get hit by Garcia. And he, he didn't have that type of, you know, damage being done to him being hit by those guys. And then the last thing I'm going to ask you guys, where do you put Bud on your pound-for-pound pound rankings right now? Okay. Uh, before we answer that, Will, you did bring up a good point that that Bud Crawford's punches are affecting, was affecting Porter in a way we never, we, we haven't seen a lot of, and he's punching harder. Um, and that part I was kind of surprised about in this fight. But really, in hindsight, looking at Buzz's opponents, yeah, he fought, the, you know, the Mean Machines and uh, and Jeff Horn and Jose Benavidez. And, and no, they're not like top welterweights or anything like they're anything close. But at the same time, these were bigger guys. These aren't wearing normal size welterweights. Two of them are probably fighting at middleweight right now. So these are big guys. And he was like pretty much stopping these guys in late in the fight, you know, not early, but late in the fight. Um, so I thought it was interesting, you know, seeing that his power on display against Sean Porter and, and, and especially considering that, you know, this is a, a, a boxer that moved up from lightweight pretty much 
you know so i thought it was interesting now where he is as far as pound for pound list um i'll have to give it some more thought you know um of course as you know he in my in our last uh when we last got together and you know talked about the pound for pound list and, and who was in it uh i believe crawford did drop on my list about i think number either number five or number six or somewhere in there because of his uh opposition so i don't know if he was listening but he went and, and went against porter and he took care of business so i think it's not it's, it's one is the way he, he beat porter is that he beat porter who was a you know a pretty much tough welterweight and but it's also the measuring stick which he did it i mean it's how he did it and you know as far as pound for pound i i i'll put him around either number two or number three the only person i would put ahead of him is probably of course canelo is number one i'll put a new e number two or crawford number three or i'll have crawford at number two that's where I put them. It gets interesting because when we do our pound for pound list, we do it based on uh, like specific criteria, right? So we, we run the numbers and then based on that, that's how we kind of spit them out. But if we were to go by that, then, you know, his quality of opposition would never touch like a Canelo's or someone of that nature. And so, you know, he, his cat would be two. But when you go off the eye test and you go off like the, the traditional would but be, you know, Usyk or Inoue or Canelo, if they both were to fight at the same weight class, you know, like I would comfortably, I will be okay personally with him at any of those top spots. I would probably still put him at number two, maybe. Um, but any mix of Canelo, Usyk, Inoue and him, like I would be okay with, but I would say him and Canelo would be like one and two and it doesn't really matter which one to me, to be honest. Yeah, so I got him like three or four. And it's just what you said, it's more so the level of opposition, right? If I if he give me one more of these, give me Spence, like once he get that Spence fight, maybe even a Ugas, you know what I'm saying? You give me that level of victory more than once, you know what I'm saying? Because that, that resume just is not cutting it when I'm looking at what accomplishments that Tyson Fury has as far as beating Klitschko when he was on his monster run, beating uh, Wilder, you know what I'm saying? When people thought that that was an impossible task for him to do. So I can't really necessarily put him over some of those guys like that. Canelo is just, Canelo is like, I'm, I'm like right outside of D.C. right now. Canelo's over there in Baltimore. I'm, I can't even see him. That's how far he is, you know, away from the, the others, right? So we ain't even talking about that. But the other guys, or even, um, so you mentioned Inoue and then Usyk, right? That's where it would be for me, you know what I'm saying, between those two, whether or not who, who would go above the other. Because Usyk, that defeat of Anthony Joshua, like, that's huge. You know what I mean? And he did something similar to what Bud did, did as far as, like, getting all of the belts at Cruiserweight. You know what I'm saying? But that's, like, it's very few guys who've ever went from Cruiserweight and went in a heavyweight championship. And then the fighter that he beat in order to win that those belts. So, you know, it's close. You know what I'm saying? But Bud is, is definitely eking his way up there. As far as talent, I think that he's number one. 
It could be Canelo too. It could be Canelo. It's like in between him and Canelo. Let me ask you this, uh, Will. So if he beats Spence in the next fight, would you hold Spence's eye injury against him? Mm-hmm. And would, would, would Crawford not get that number one spot or number two spot? I just told you what I said. If he beat him, he, he beats him. If he enters that ring, I can't say he had this or he had that. He's in the ring. He's undefeated. Because when I look at Rain Magazine right now, they got still got Spence number one. So if he beat the number one guy at Welterweight, this is third, you know, weight division. And Spence is, you know, one of the pound for pound, you know, he's a pound for pound caliber type fighter, probably in the top five in most people on most people's list. So I have to give him credit for that. No, I'm not holding anything against him. What I will hold against him if he doesn't fight guys, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I hold against guys, fighters. All right, anything else you guys want to share before we move on? Only thing I would say is this. Who is um, Errol Spence's trainer? Derek James. Derek James. If Derek James allows Errol Spence to enter into the ring without taking, like, a little in-between fight, then I'm going to start thinking that he has, like, an insurance policy out on Errol Spence or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> So moving along, we had another fight that happened on Friday uh, between one of the guys who says he's the most avoided guy uh, in boxing right now from 160 to 168. Um, I'm talking about uh, Demetrius Boo Boo uh, Andrade. Um, He he had a fight with Jason Quingley. Um, Did you guys check out that fight? And if you did, what were your thoughts on, on what were your thoughts on Boo Boo's performance? Yeah, man. Andrade is now 31 and 0. Uh, fought Jason Quigley, who is now 19 and 2. You know, Andre had the, you know, 1,200 odds going into the fight. And so, you know, there was the expectation of him putting on a show, like not just winning, because he clearly had no problem with that, as he has not lost as a professional. But the expectation was for him to put on a show and present a case for fans to want to see him against these other champions at middleweight. So, you know, going into the fight, you know, round one started out as a filling out round, but Andre started to let his hands go, caught quickly several times before knocking him down. And quickly was hurt, but he was coherent, but, you know, obvious 10-8 round there. Round two is when he kind of finished him off. Uh, He spent a lot of that round kind of timing his two and his four, and eventually he caught Quigley with the right one. And the first knockout pretty much folded him. I'm sorry, the first knockdown pretty much folded him. But then he got up. And the second knockdown, the ref didn't see the need for it to continue. And so uh, he won in that second round. And, you know, he he ended up uh, breaking Quigley's jaw, actually. And, you know, Quigley was kind of the guy that they chose to fight because no one else would fight him. but you know, he made a case, I believe, for bigger fights with his performance that day. Um, you have Triple G, who's going to unify against Murata. You have Charlo, who, you know, he called out. And so, you know, I, I would just say I'm not going to, you know, speculate. Maybe we will speculate. I don't know. But I'll just leave my part saying that uh, he had a brilliant performance today. He did what he needed to do. I'll also just because I had a copy box numbers here, he landed 24 out of 68 punches, 23 of those were power shots. So 
he was he was uh he had them homer torpedoes for my guy today or that day and quigley had he landed nine of 31 but uh that's all i got it was a good fight for as long as it lasted yeah um i think boo boo did what he had to do and i think he was trying to make a statement with how he did it because normally um he would have tried to you know box a guy like quigley and if that that knockout comes um he would, he would probably try to take it but this one just seemed like more to prove a point and and, and i know i've been you know i'm a fan of, uh, of andre and i'm also sort of a critic because i hear you know i listen to him on social media and hear what he has to say and he's been talking loud about you know getting bigger and bigger fights and this one should have put people on notice i mean quickly is you know not the the ideal great middleweight but really i just look at the way he did it and, and how he looked doing it, it seemed like as soon as he got quickly hurt, he smelled blood and started going for it. It's almost like he's trying to transform into a more exciting fighter uh, to get, you know, people talking about what, how he would do against a Charlo or, or someone like that. And Quigley was the type of guy to do that. Now, I'm not going to, you know, jump the shark and, and, and you know, say that it's the most impressive performance I've seen, or he's doing this or doing that, because if Charlo was in the ring with a Quigley, he, I'm sure he would have done the same thing. But I'm just looking at uh, Andre as far as how he fights. He's more of a, you know, boxer sharpshooter, and he uses defense. And, and in this fight, he seemed a little more uh, willing to, to, to get in there. Like, I'm going to take this guy out and make a point, and I'm going to make people know that I'm here. So uh, it was a good you know, performance by Boo Boo, you know, he, he got paid for uh, less than six minutes of work. So that's always a good thing. So let's be real, man. This is like the equivalent of beating uh, Anthony Kane, you dig it, you know what I'm saying? Like quickly coming into the fight, his biggest win was in his last fight when he beat Shane Mosley Jr. You understand what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. And that was like a fight that I wouldn't say could have went either way, but it was really close. You know, Shane Mosley Jr., you know, shout out to Shane Mosley and Shane, the Shane Mosley family. Um, but he's just like a C minus C, not Mosley, this guy that Quigley is the C, C minus level fighter. You know, really slow, you know, nothing really typically to worry about, you know, because as I'm watching a fight, I noticed that it was about three or four minor exchanges. And after that, that's when Andre kind of went in and he was throwing like some winging shots and he ended up landing like a wide left-handed. And he was throwing some wide punches. And I think that's where he gets most of his leverage from when he throws those type of shots. And you know that he's trying to go for, um, put some hurt on his opponent when he throws those wide shots. Now, I guess another fighter, a better caliber of opponent, that probably would spell trouble, but I don't think he would do that against somebody who had more skill. But he landed a, a huge left, and then he followed by, by right. Cooley fell back to the ropes, and then Andre immediately uh, dropped quickly with a barrage of punches. That was the first knockdown. You know, the, the end of the round ended up um, saving quickly in the first, and then in the second, um, it just seemed like all Quigley was looking for was trying to catch Andre with the right hand coming in. But that even that wasn't all that big, nor was it all that quick. You know, it seemed like Andre was able to see all of that type of stuff. And 
In the second, you know, with about a minute left, Andre caught Quigley again with another long left hand that sent Quigley down. And then um, about 30 seconds into the second round or to the 30, 30 seconds to the end of the round, um, Andre dropped him again and that was all she wrote. So they ended the fight there. Um, I just think that to me, I don't know. You know, they saying that he's feared and all this type of stuff. People don't want to fight him. They have to get somebody in the ring with them because if you look at his last ten opponents, it's like it's pathetic. Like anybody could beat those guys. And again, I, I don't want to be a, like a harsh critic of boxers. You know what I mean? I'm not in there fighting, but I'm saying just in terms of what I see as far as the level of these guys that he's facing. What other like elite level middleweight wouldn't be able to beat these guys. And who could get away with this? Now, again, they keep saying that people are scared to fight him, but he can't find somebody like a, like Darium Chinko. Like he can't find somebody like a Eubank Jr. or something like that. At least like somebody that you can be like, oh, he beat him. Like those names that he's fighting are unrecognizable. Jason Quigley, I mean, what is he, a middleweight? That should be somebody. Honey McGee wouldn't get credit for that. Right. Like we got to quit playing around with this. And as far as him calling out Canelo, bro, stop it. Now, if he wants that fight, if he really wants a Canelo fight, he has to be somebody like a Charlo. He has to be somebody if he wants to fight Canelo, because Canelo's going to be fighting at probably 168 if he decides to go ahead and take the match at Cruz. But he's, he's going to come back down. And so if you really, truly want that fight, you could easily fight one of those 168 pound guys. I'm sure. Benavidez wouldn't mind fighting him. I'm sure like a Caleb Plant wouldn't mind fighting him. You know what I'm saying? So put yourself in position. You know, I, I hear all that talking, but you, you got to do a little bit more to get rewarded with what you're looking for. But he has the skill to do it. You know, I just want to see him do a little bit more. That's all. I mean, it gets tricky, though, when you talk about moving up because not every fighter can do that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's one thing to, like, for example, like Kel Brook. You know, like he was in a position where he was a very good fighter. He was coming off that that Porter win and he wasn't getting the opposition. And so he dared to be great against Triple G and his career was never the same again. And so, you know, it, it's tough. Like all I can do is judge him off his performance. But and it's not on another hand, it's not his job. Like he he has a promoter hired who he pays a percentage to find these fights for him. But if nobody going to fight, you know. I don't know what else he could do. Like maybe he could dare to be great, but then, you know, at what cost? But I, I, get, I get what you're saying though. Only reason I'm saying, only reason I even mentioned the super middleweight is because he's been calling out Canelo. So if he's calling out Canelo, the only way he's going to get the fight is going to be at 168 if he gets the fight. So why not make your name, like beat one of those guys, at least get in the ring with one of those guys in order to really make your case is what I'm saying. Like if he wasn't calling out Canelo, then that, that'd be fine. You know what I mean? Then, you know, stick around and, and try to get one of those other guys in the ring, try to unify there. But I'm saying if you want, it's like, for instance, in back in the day, they used to say, some people say this. Some people will say, well, you know, Sugar Ray, you know, duck people. He dug Aaron Pryor. Now, I can't say that he ducked. Aaron Pryor because Aaron Pryor was a junior welterweight who never moved up to welterweight. Had he come up to welterweight and beat a Benitez, beat a Duran, beat a Hearns, then I can say that Sugar Ray actually was ducking him, but he never actually did that. Now, I heard that they had some sparring sessions and things like that, and he got the better Sugar Ray Leonard, but he wasn't in his weight class. 
So if Andre really wants that smoke, and if he really wants that fight, then that's, I'm just saying, position yourself where it's like, without a doubt, this dude is ducking. You know what I'm saying? Because you moved up there, you beat one of the upper echelon guys in that weight class, he has no excuse to not fight you. Yeah, I get it. I guess, like, my impression of, of him is, you know, very charismatic personality. It's just his style up to this fight hasn't been fan-friendly. Honestly, I feel like he just be kind of throwing stuff at a wall to see who sticks. Like, he wants to be great, and he's calling out people. He, like, I don't think he thinks in his heart of hearts he's going to get Canelo. You know what I mean? But he's doing what he has to do as a fighter and, like, trying to call these names out and, and, and attempt to generate buzz. But I do, I do see what you're saying, but, yeah, it's – I don't know. I, I just hope he gets a better fight. That's all I can, that's all I can tell you. I feel you, and I, and I see it on both ends, and that might be just what he's doing. He might just be saying, I'm just judging him based on what he's saying. So if he's really serious about what he's talking about, then, you know, you need to take the proper steps in order to get what it is that you want. Um, but as far as talent, man, you know, he's one of those guys, man. I think he's up there, maybe, like, just raw talent. You got him, Bud. You got um, Boots. You know what I'm saying? Like, dudes like that are supremely talented. You know, it's just and, and at his age, you know, some of those those skills might start to erode and he has never, you know, truly fought somebody that is going to show us who Demetrius Bubu Andre really is. You know, we need to know those answers before it's too late. His best bet probably going to be like picking one of them targets and and start like trying to knock off some of the folks that they beat but look better doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, something. You got anything on that before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like he's looking at more of a uh, triple G. And I think even though he, he he shouts a lot about Canelo, I think realistically, I mean, the names that he's mentioned after this fight in particular has been Triple G and... Uh, and Charlo, right? And Charlo, yeah. And I, I, I do think he should, you know, target Charlo or target... Uh, Jaime Mugia, you know, those names. I mean, because yeah. Canelo at this point, I mean, we, we've seen the chess moves that Canelo is pulling. So it's not going to work well for, the, for Andre to chase Canelo at this point. The other thing, the last thing I'm going to say is this, is that now Charlo's trainer was upset at Andre because he said that they were supposed to fight in the past and he pulled out a week before and so that's the reason why they don't really even be thinking about him because of what he did in the past, you know? So that's something else to keep in mind. Yeah, they might want to rethink, though, because Montiel ain't it. So, so Charlo going to get that, that, that criticism, too. He's going to get that same energy if he keep fighting guys like that. Now, he got a couple on his resume, though. Like, yeah. Korbov, Korbov was, was a pretty solid victory. I don't think that's who he was initially supposed to fight. But then you got the Darian Chinko. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So at least they got a little something. Like, my main man, Boo, we got to give me something. You know what I'm saying? Except for all that mouth he got, you know? But now, if we are, you know, exhausted everything on that topic, now it's time to start talking about the guy that Boo Boo's been calling out. And that's Saul Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez potentially may face the WBC Cruiserweight Champion and Lunga Makabu. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on this potential matchup? 
Oh yeah, man. I remember when I first heard about this, I almost fell out my seat at work. <laughs> Canelo moved up to cruiserweight. Uh, and yeah, we can look at uh, Alunga Makabu and look at, and say, oh, maybe he's just a, uh, I've heard it's just a, a paper champ at, at cruiserweight or this or that. I mean, this dude's a legit champion. And he, from where Canelo is standing right now, that's what, about what? 22 uh, 30 or uh, 32 pounds 32 pounds away that's if uh wbc doesn't decide to move 200 the 200 pound limit to 190 and then and if they did that then we would have a whole another conversation on another week about that if they decide that but uh yeah he's, he's fighting alunga makabu makabu is 28 and 2 with 25 ko's uh the fight i did watch that involved him was against um tony bellu bellu uh, and that was an interesting scrap, you know, Bellu pretty much did, you know, he when he came out aggressive and, and really uh, took it to uh, Makabu, but Makabu showed that he does have the power when he, he, you know, he had that southpaw stance, he hit Bellu with a straight left that, you know, flipped <laughs> Bellu pretty much. So um, in this fight, how they match up is going to really be, you know, speed against um, size and power. And I think Canelo's speed and skill it possibly could be too much for Makabu, but I'm not sure if he's going to stop Makabu uh, looking at the two fighters. I think the size difference, this is where that size difference is going to be too much. And uh, once uh, Makabu, you know, starts landing on Alvarez, whether it's, it's his arms or, or, or gloves, because when you look at Makabu, he's not one of those, you know, tall, you know, skinny cruiserweight. He's a stocky, like muscular dude. Uh, kind of similar to Canelo, just a bigger version, but he doesn't he doesn't have the skill nor the speed. Um, and, and I know that he can be countered, you know, when I look at how Canelo Alvarez uh, fights. So I can see Alvarez winning this fight, but I can also see that that size different. And, and we don't know how Alvarez, we're basing this, how, how this is going to happen based on how Alvarez looks in this fight. But if you gain that much weight, uh, you know, said to compete against someone who's you know walks around, walks around two hundred pounds plus. Um, that's going to be an interesting fight, you know, and that's going to be interesting when once that those punches start to land because Makabu, yeah, he might make two hundred, but he might be walking around when once he enters that ring, he could be two twenty or two twenty five. And Canelo, even if he moves up to cruiserweight, I can't see him in the ring weighing more than than. 190 to 195 so it's gonna it's definitely gonna be a size difference and there of course there's that height difference but canelo doesn't seem to have problems with taller fighters but i do think that size difference will be interesting to watch but uh, i still on the fence on what i think could happen because I, I see a lot of different things that can happen but i'm leaning towards uh canelo showing his speed and skill uh because i know that canelo does he has a habit of sparring with you know guys who are you know, cruiserweight or heavyweights and above. So uh, I think that will serve him well, but it's all, always that what ifs because those punches, I don't care who you are, those punches are going to take a toll on you. I mean, it's a reason why fighters don't do this more often, but it's, it's, it's props to Canelo. It's a, it's, a, it's a gutsy move. I mean, I don't want to hear Carlo and Andre, all these people calling out Canelo, call him chicken and all this and that. They can't say nothing because Jamal Charlo is not moving up to cruiserweight. Demetrius Andre is not moving up to, 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 to cruiserweight. 
Triple G is not moving up the cruiser weight. I'm, I'm not sure if, if he, or David Benavides, as much as Benavides, you know, likes to be the bully, he's not moving up the cruiser weight either. So if none of these guys are willing to take a fight at cruiser weight, but Canelo is, that tells you, you know, it's basically a boss move for Canelo's part. You know, everybody called me a chicken. Look what I'm doing. You won't do this. You won't go move up to 200 to fight the lowest tier, you know, cruiser weight. So I think it was a, it was a gutsy move, but it was also, uh, a chess move in my eyes that you know it, it pretty much shows you not just on a physical level but on a psychological level why Canelo Alvarez is the number one pound for pound. Now in this fight, you got Canelo versus Lunga Makabu. Canelo's coming off that Caleb Plant TKO victory. Makabu has two losses on his resume, and like you alluded to, the Tony Bell you fight, and then he lost his first fight as a pro. Um, he's not a huge cruiserweight. Well, what I would think is that Canelo may, which is going to be something that his detractors will have a field day with, they may have a clause in there. I think this fight will be at 190. I think WBC cruiserweight balls are at 190. At least they used to be. And if so, he may have some type of contractual agreement that you can't go 10 pounds over or something like that, kind of like the Danny Jacobs fight. But anyway... I believe in this fight, Canelo's killing two birds with one stone. What he's doing, just like in the past, we've talked about this before. Canelo and his team has a like the best Bill Belichick game planning um, process and procedures that you have in boxing. I mean, it's immaculate, you know. And what I think Canelo is doing in preparation for Benavidez, he's doing what he did like when he fought Triple G. As I stated before, when he fought Triple G, he took a little fight in between against Chavez Jr. And everybody's like, oh, he's dunking Triple G. Why is he fighting this, you know, Chavez Jr.? He's, he's doing the same thing here, you know. Um, when he was fighting Billy Joe Saunders, I mean, not Billy Joe Saunders, Caleb Plant. You know, he went ahead and, you know, he, he, he caught Calvin Smith a little bit, you know, short notice. You know, took care of that. Then he lined up. Billy Joe Saunders had the Yodrum fight, and then he kind of used the Billy Joe Saunders fight to prep for Caleb Plant. And I think he's doing the same thing here. What he's going to do, he's going to go up the cruiserweight, fight the bigger, power-punching man. He's going to collect his fifth championship, or at least that's what he's setting, setting out to do, in five different divisions. He'll be the first Mexican fighter to ever do such a thing, you know? And um, like I said, the biggest thing is once he accomplishes that, if he's able to accomplish that, he'll already kind of know what it is that he needs to do against these, you know, much bigger, powerful punches, power punchers, you know, because Benavides, when he was coming up, he was around over 200 pounds. You know what I mean? He had to shrink himself down. If you hear about all of the workouts and, all of the training sessions that he had against guys, he was fighting like heavyweights and cruiserweights and stuff like that early at a young age. You know what I mean? So that's where a lot of his strength and power comes from because he had to shrink down from such a big size. So I think that that's what Canelo is doing here. Um, as I always state, man, and one thing you got to appreciate about Canelo is his consistency. You know, this past year, wiping out three guys in less than a year. You know what I mean? That's remarkable for somebody at his level to do. And then to collect all of those belts at 168 pounds, I think a lot of us didn't think that he would do that. 
But as far as the skill set, methodical tactician, breaks opponents down, excellent combination puncher, defensively aware, and like I said, similar to Bud Crawford, he lands awkward but hard punches that his opponents often do not see. As far as Makabu, another wrinkle here is going to be the fact that he's a lefty. So Canelo is going to have to, you know, be cognizant of fighting somebody in that softball stance. Very big puncher. Has some skill. It's tough. And although he's been KO'd, you mentioned the Bell you fight. He's not chinny. I've seen him fight other guys, and he's taking some punches, like certain punches that you just, you know, those are some big dudes. And so he might get nailed by something like he did against Bellew, but that's far and few in between. Like, that doesn't happen that often. I've seen him fight some other guys, and he was able to take their punches uh, pretty well. So he's not chinny. He's definitely not chinny. So this, this is going to be very interesting. Now, as far as the outcome is concerned, Canelo was obviously more skilled. Um, than Makabu, but Canelo's pretty much more skilled than anybody he's going to fight. But the, the issue here is, is he biting off more than he can shoot as far as size? Because there is a thing called just somebody's just being too big for you, you know, and this could be the case. Um, will the bigger guy be able to absorb his power, you know, and can he take a punch by a cruiserweight? So those are some of the things we got to you know, keep in mind as this fight plays out. But for me, I think it's about a 55-45, maybe even a 60-40 in favor of Canelo because I just think Canelo is one of those guys, if he and his team says that they're going to fight somebody, they've done their homework and they're truly prepared. They know what that person brings to the table and they have a game plan to take advantage and exploit what those other, what, what his opponent is not good at. And so I think that that's going to be the case here. And so I got Canelo, maybe, probably a decision victory and maybe a late round stoppage. But what is worth, um, you alluded towards it, Will, but yeah, as the WBC is introducing that bridge weight division, um, they are reducing the cruiserweight limit to 190. So this is how it was when the division was first introduced, uh, before it was increased in 2004, I believe. Um, that said, Makabu has come in under 200 pounds on several occasions. So, you know, with six months to train, I, unless there is a rehydration clause, I don't see the weight being a big difference for him. Now, my short prediction is if Canelo can both assert his power and withstand Makabu's, he's going to win. Um, there isn't a big height difference. Um, Canelo has fought several taller fighters than him since moving up to 160 to 175. But this will be the biggest size advantage that the opponent has had. And he's no slouch. I mean, he's the, you know, even though it's WBC and, you know, they're the ones that's reducing the weight limit, it's an official belt. It's not an interim belt or not like a silver belt. It's the WBC. He's ranked third in the division by the ring. He's ranked fourth by ESPN. And, uh, you know, he's not a slouch. And, you know, for those who are saying he's cherry-picking, there's little validity to that for that reason, but can you name anybody else at 160, 168, or 175 that's, that could do what he's doing? The thing is, moving up in weight like that, like you guys have said, you know, cruiserweights are coming in 22 pounds heavier, so those punches are going to hurt regardless of how you dice it. But 
you know, I just don't think Makabu's going to win a decision. He will have to knock him out, which I don't think he will. I do think that Canelo, unless, like, this power is, like, unforeseen, um, he has a skill to, you know, not get caught flush and to at least make it to a decision. And if it goes to a decision, it's going to be a Canelo victory. It, it, it could, uh, you know, the stoppage is possible, but I do think the decision is the most likely scenario here. Did you have anything else? Yeah, I just want to address a few of um, Canelo haters real quick. You know, this right here, Canelo just won the 168-pound championship. He has all of the belts. You know, he's undisputed. So, you know, and with this resume of having Cotto, Triple G, Trout, Laura, Jacobs, Calvin Smith, BJ Simons, Caleb Plant, Sergey Kovalev on his resume, even if this was a cherry pick, he does, he deserves it, you know, at this particular point. You can't fight, you know, everybody. And like you said, who has Benavidez beat like that? Who was Bibble beat? Who was Better beat? Who was Charlo beat? Whoever, whoever you want to mention. And the other thing that I want to mention is this, man. Let's cut the malarkey, man. Like, I'm, I'm getting sick of this. Like, people tend to, like, have revisionist history. Oh, he's going up to fight a weak champ at Cruiserweight. Ha, ha, ha. And he's ducking Benavidez. Man, okay, well, ours just already broke down Benavidez. Who, tell me who Benavidez fought and beat first. Second thing is this. And more importantly, I remember Roy Jones went up to fight and, um, John Ruiz, the quiet man. Now, the quiet man wasn't the only heavyweight champ. The real heavyweight champ was Lennox Lewis. Now, if Roy Jones really wanted to fight the best champion, he would have fought Lennox Lewis. But you know what Roy Jones said? He said, no, I want to go up the heavyweight to make history. And if there's a fighter up there where I have, like, it's not, like, a huge heavyweight and I have, like, advantages where it's, it's not as apparent as far as the advantages, something that I can, um, a guy who's, who's, closer to my height, then I'll fight that particular person. He found Ruiz, so he took that opportunity and made history. And so how can he do that and be praised for it? And I love Roy Jones and Canelo can Come on, man, let's stop all that nonsense. And there you have it. Yeah, we can pretty much drop the mic on that note. But uh, we got one more topic, fellas. This upcoming Saturday on Showtime, we have a Super Bantamweight Unification with Stephen Fulton versus Brandon Figueroa. How do you guys see that playing out? All right, so in this fight, so you got Stephen Fulton, who's 19-0 with eight KOs fighting against Brandon Figueroa, who's 22-0-1 with 17 KOs. Both fighters are coming off of their biggest victories to date. Fulton defeated Angelo uh, Leo by 12-round unanimous decision. I think that was back in January. And then you have Figueroa, who's coming off of a seventh round KO over Lewis Neary. What makes uh, this fight interesting is the differences in the styles. You know, you got Fulton, he can fight in the trenches and from a distance. It's a very good all around fighter, lacks devastating power, but, but has enough power to keep his opponents at bay. And then you got Figueroa, who has a solid chin and showed that he's resilient in his victory over Lewis Neary before stopping him 
in the seventh round. My prediction for this fight is that I'm leaning towards Stephen Fulton. Um, and one of the biggest reasons why is that he showed me a lot in his last victory where you would think that the one thing that he wouldn't do against his opponent, um, against Leo, was that he wouldn't stay on the inside because Leo probably in that weight class is probably the best inside fighter. And that's, that's exactly what he did. He put the earmuffs on and he went to town on Leo and he beat Leo at his own game. And so that really impressed me to know that he has those different dimensions in his game if he has to pull from you know, different parts and attributes of his boxing um, capabilities. And so Figueroa in his last fight, like I said, he showed that he was resilient, but he looked like he could be a limited plotter at times. You know what I mean? Um, and Fulton, also, Fulton can also can use, you know, his foot speed, use lateral movement, and that could definitely make it a long night for Figueroa. So he can really get it how he wanted, want to get it, give it to him. Um, I think the smart move was just to be to box him. But at moments, I think that he's going to bring the fight to uh, Figueroa as well. But on the flip side of that, Figueroa, he has an engine that revs up and it revs up more and more as the fight goes on. So he starts off slow, but by the time you make it to the middle part of the fight, then he's reaching that crescendo. Um, and that's going to be important for him to work the body of Fulton too, to kind of slow him down later in the fight. Both guys, you know, have, have like tremendous heart and Figueroa showing the ability um, to not give up, you know, no matter how dire the situation is. But my prediction in this fight, I'm leaning towards Fulton. I think that he'll win a 12 round unanimous decision. And the major factor is, is just the fact that he has more dimensions to his game. I don't really think there's anything I can add to that. That's basically what I was going to say. I mean, you know, Figueroa has a chin. He proved to have a chin against Neri and, you know, being willing to trade. Uh, Fulton just has that diversity in styles. They can choose that. And I feel like if he chooses the right style and, you know, box from the outside, then he will get that, that pretty sound decision victory. But if he does trade, he's setting himself up for – you know, it's going to be a war either way because those guys are warriors. But, you know, if he boxes on the inside, then he stands at risk at taking damage that he don't necessarily have to take. So, um, you know, he did do that against Leo and it paid off for him. But, you know, if I were in his shoes, I would play it safe and reduce the amount of damage I'm taking and, and get that unification and then try to become undisputed. But, yeah, I am also leaning towards that Fulton decision. Yeah, this one we all agree, man. I, 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 I can't bet against Fulton. And this, this is going to be an interesting fight. It's going to be a good one. I expect a good fight. But I do think, uh, as you guys said, uh, Fulton just had too many um, just, just avenues to his game, too many uh, just variables. I mean, he can do too much. He's a, he's a great all-around fighter. Uh, and that last fight with uh, Angelo Leo just impressed me how, you know, he fought Leo on the inside and, you know, was throwing body punches and, and he has an engine and he, and he's not getting tired and Figueroa on the other hand, he's not going to get tired either. He has an engine also, but, uh, but yeah, when I look at Fulton, I think he's faster and, and he can box on the inside and outside. Um, and Brandon is, is mostly 
a going a, a, a forward come forward fighter with a two-fisted attack. Um, and I think that Fulton is 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 pretty much more of a complete boxer than Figueroa, but I think the size there there might be a size difference because when I look at uh, Fulton, I mean he's he's more uh, you know a slim trim uh, super bantamweight and Figueroa you know about two inches taller at five foot eight. I think he's someone who has to squeeze down to uh, super bantamweight. So I think that may come into play if they start to trade and. And even though I don't think that, like you, Danny, I'm not sure that's the wise move to trade with Figueroa on the inside, but I think that Fulton is going to do it. He's going to test himself because he really believes that he can pull it off. And I think he may surprise us, surprise us if we can. But I think it's too many ways for Fulton, Fulton to win this and then not enough ways for Figueroa to win this. Figueroa's only hope really, uh, not saying he doesn't have a chance because he really does. This is a, a, a match fight, but I think his best chance – is if Fulton decides to trade too much with him and can't boxes it can't box his way out of it, and Figueroa can possibly you know outwork him and you know possibly stop him because Figueroa is the one who has the power in this fight. But I wouldn't be surprised if if, if Fulton's activity is what gets him the win here. Is by so I, I believe that Steve, Stephen Fulton is going to win this fight by unanimous decision, but it will be by using his angles, using his uh, his different. Uh, boxing skills that he has, boxing on the inside and on the outside, um, and having an engine that's he's not going to get tired. And because I think Figueroa, once he gets you tired, that's when a lot of his stoppages uh, happen, and that's not going to happen with Stephen Fulton. So Stephen Fulton will uh, win a, a super bantamweight title. Um, he will win a, the unification uh, title uh, by unanimous unanimous decision. All right, one last question on the way out regarding this um, fight that's taking place. So maybe the aftermath of the fight. Would you guys pick Figueroa or Fulton against um, Akhmedaliev, um, the other champion who holds the IBF and WBA belts? That joke can hit hard. That's a tough one, but I feel inclined because, again, diversity of styles and – I think he would just find a way to get it done. I'm going to go with cool boy Steph on that one, too. Yeah, I think Steph can get it done for those reasons that, uh, yeah, he's just too much of a uh, just all-around fighter. And until he starts to struggle or I see some, some chinks in his armor, like, uh, like like many people bring up power and say that's a chink. I'm not sure if that's a chink because as long as you can outbox somebody and you have enough power to keep them off of you, um, it's, not, it's not that much of a chink. That's by people who don't really – no boxing. It, once I, if I see any like major chinks in Fulton's armor, then I can say that. But I can't see, you know, right now I can't can't, can't see it happening. Fulton will win it. Gotcha. Anything else you guys got before we wrap things up? Yeah, man. I want to shout out the hometown heroes, uh, Keyshawn and his brother Kelvin Davis. Uh, they both signed the top rank this past week, and they actually uh, they training with Bomac now. So. Uh, they've been in camp with them, and they they both fight on that uh, that Loma Kome undercard. So uh, I'm glad they I'm glad they they're gonna get that promotion on the big stage, and looking forward to see what noise they make or continue to make as professionals. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just want to shout out the Bomac. You know, Bomac know about all of the the, the new snacks that's coming out. You know, 2021 snacks, 2022 snacks. You know what I mean? Go ahead, dog. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, shout out to the Davis brothers, man. I wish them well in their endeavors to, you know, bring some light to the hometown. I'm always excited to see, you know, young guys and see 
them advancing their careers and see the life cycle of a boxer. Just got a bad snack coming out, you know what I'm saying? Go ahead. I'll just mess with you. But on that all note, snacks. Yeah, all the snacks, man. But on that note, you all have a great week. Hopefully, you enjoy your Thanksgiving if you celebrate that sort of thing. But we out. Peace. Peace.